0: Uh, yeah. Another one of those. This is for my nigga Q. Down the earth to earth. Rest in peace, baby. You know how we roll? There's so many that don't know. This goes out to my nigga Q. Rest if in peace, you baby. You still here with it? If what if they don't know down. is the bullshit, the drama, uh, the guns. Mama, the city, the farmer, the babies, the mama The projects, the drugs, the children,
1: the dogs Fam, the yo Man, this last week, if you're listening in real time You already know what time it is We lost a hero in the hip-hop cultural continuum community um, DMX uh, passed away uh, this week Age 50 uh, due to heart complications And, um, you know, I get that some people want to harp on the demons that he was battling with. And the reality of it is is that we're all dealing with a certain level of demons in our life at any given moment. I think DMX was just somebody who wrestled with those and put them out there very similar to Tupac. Um, Put it in his music, interviews, the art that he put out, the music, the the actual melodies. And uh, yeah, just big shout out to the work that he put out there and the embodiment of the sacred secular and profane If you haven't ever heard of DMX I uh, highly recommend you look him up right now uh, but for the hip-hop community uh, this this was a big loss I've been reminiscing on just his work his early work um, and the reality that he was introduced to drugs from a mentor at a very young age which of course devastated him um, the rest of his life and so man rest in peace brother rest in power hope you uh on the other side living it up brother all right come on folks this profane faith
0: you 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 give us a hard time for being white being american and being in control i did more for our black population than anybody other than abraham lincoln it? and nobody's even close if you have a problem figuring out whether you're for me or trump and you ain't black it's our god jesus christ let's turn the tables on you amen
2: victory i hear a sound of an abundance of rain i hear a sound of victory the lord says it is done i bet he can't wait to go home and be become a black man again
1: this is profane faith a podcast that engages faith on the margins faith that has been labeled profane, nonconformist, and or out there. We'll be exploring the intersections of the sacred, secular, and profane to find god. We won't be trying to answer difficult questions, rather we'll be engaging them and asking better ones regarding faith, race, gender, and religion. I'm your host, Daniel White Hodge. Hey hey, what's going on out there? Here we go, y'all. Here we go. Well, um, well, you know, once again, here we are this week at uh, Profane Faith. Welcome to the podcast. It's your host, your boy, Daniel White-Hodge, as always in the place. Here we are. Well, we got another week down, um, and we're looking at Latinx faith leaders, theology, faith and theology influencers. I uh, hope you enjoyed uh, the Reverend Werner Ramirez last week. If you haven't had a chance to catch up on that uh highly recommended great conversation uh great story uh and a lot of the good work that he's doing out there um in nyc um so i wanted to continue that uh this week but before i get to my guest um big shout out to and really just support most love and uh you know all the positive energy being sent to my good friend and um contributor here on the show uh she's been on a few times uh, dr shanika walker barnes uh who's just been going through i don't know all the details other than i know she's been going through some shit and it it stemmed over a chapter she wrote uh in a lament i believe from what i understand and um yeah just big shout out just by because i from what i understand i know she was just being trolled and uh just really come after really hard um online and you know that type of stuff just takes a toll on you um and and a lot of folks don't realize that at the end of the day a lot of people of color and a lot of folks who do the kind of work that we do um get come after but it particularly uh black women come get get come at a lot in a real foul way right um and it's just nasty it's just nasty and nefarious and so um yeah I just I heard about it I and you know I'm on and off social media I saw something then I went off and then I came back and I heard saw some more stuff and then I was reading some other things and I was like oh my gosh so um yeah I don't know what it you know I don't know who all the idiots that were going after her but you know Um, I can imagine, aside from the few haters that are listening right now, y'all probably the ones that went after her, right? Uh, If you haven't learned anything right now, I'd imagine, though, most of the listening audience for Profane Faith uh, has been in strong support of her. And uh, so if you haven't listened to any of her works, just, you know, go to the archives and uh, look up Shanika Walker-Barnes, Dr. Shanika Walker-Barnes. And she's she's great. Um, uh, Excellent books that she has out there, resources, so... Yeah, well, here's the hoping that things turn around. I mean, and I think, you know, this just illustrates, I think, one of the bigger problems that exist right now for however you want to define it, right? I know the title of this, you know, three part series, this is the second week of this this uh, series that I'm doing on Latinx influencers, right? I'm using that particular language. And, you know, maybe I should, you know, give some context around that. I, when I l- mean influence, I literally mean the definition um, of that. The, the, I would probably take the mid 20th century definition of what an influencer meant that I would take that connotation rather than what that word has been made into now, right? Like you think about somebody on YouTube or think about somebody um, on Instagram or somebody that has these platforms, right? that, uh, you know, that have millions and millions of followers. I'm talking about folks who are doing the nitty-gritty work. Because at the end of the day, and that's not to knock anybody who has thousands and millions of followers. That's not to say they're not doing anything. However, it's difficult once you reach a certain level. These folks are actually influencing policy change, people in their community. You heard last week, right? You're listening to Werner like, and listening to the work that he's doing, the stuff that he's bringing these folks are folks that I wanted to highlight, and especially in the Latinx context, because oftentimes we think of Latinx as only one dimensional, right? The border, <laughs> right? Mexicans. Um, and so I wanted to give kind of a broad, broader view uh, of what that looks like and the folks that are influencing their communities. So that's kind of the context and space uh, I wanted to hold with that. I just kind of you know, wanted to make sure we were all clear on that because you know, oftentimes language gets, uh, you know, it gets muddled. It gets muddled. It gets, uh, you know, thrown around. And oftentimes we don't necessarily know what specifically in a context that we're talking about. it. so I just wanted to make sure that was clear out there for y'all. All right. Um, and you know, like I said at the beginning, you know, DMX going out, I mean, oh man, I think I was lamenting with a friend of mine, uh, and uh you know just through texts and you know several people reaching out to me this week and um you know if you're listening to this in real time this is the week he died if you listen to this later i'm sure you already know the dmx has passed this week here in uh, 2021 uh but i was like man why didn't i write more about brother dmx man like i'm i know i talked about him and connected with him i believe in the solo hip-hop uh and hip-hop's hostile gospel but I was like, man, outside of that, I mean, I should have done a whole like treaty on him. So, uh, you yeah, know, well, there's still time. Right. I think there's still time. Um, his work is amazing. I was just seriously going on hitting Spotify and just, you know, going through his stuff. And I was like, wow, there is a lot of good stuff here, man. Really, seriously, the sacred, secular and profane exist in how John Michael Spencer defined it, um, how I've defined it in my own research and work and just his ability To grasp those three elements of life and to sit with them. And ultimately, you know, some would say, you know, they might have gotten the best of him, Uh, you know. But when you've been introduced to a substance like crack, uh, I'm sure a lot of you have heard the interview that he, you know, that he that that went around online, you know, of him sharing, you know, some of the deep parts of his own struggle um, um, with with, uh, you know, with just addiction. Right. That, you know, he hit a blunt. And that his mentor, somebody that he looked up to, uh, laced it uh, with crack. And you know, from that moment, and that's the thing with crack, crack was, it destroyed entire lives and not just killing people, uh, but in many regards, even worse, you know, keeping them addicted to this substance or the the ongoing right substance or substances excuse me um it, yeah if you lived during that era like really saw it up close i mean and i know a lot of people use oh man that person's a crackhead um you know there's some levity not not levity excuse me that's the wrong word there is some some weight behind that that phrasing um because those of us who lived there and actually saw real crackheads, not the Dave Chappelle funny stuff, not that, you know, and I get that. Hey, I laughed at that as well. Um, so I'm not trying to make us feel bad. But again, the language that we use sometimes can often get overlooked. And, you know, to to know somebody who was addicted, know somebody who, you know, who is strung out. And as we all know, to get tough on drugs and just say no to drugs, you know, they criminalize the people who add serious problems with addiction and you know those people either ended up dead or in jail somewhere um and still to this day a lot of folks are um so you know my heart goes out to his family um my heart goes out to just you know just the hip-hop community in general you know 20 2020 2021 have taken you know we've had a heavy loss and um yeah it you know it's you know between him and nipsey Hussle, i'm just like man so It's just interesting just to see, you know, some of the OGs going because, you know, hip-hop is now, well, it's passing, let's see, if you think about, you know, looking at its origins, and I'm talking about its popular origins, not its cultural origins, which, as you know, we can take that all the way back to 5th and 6th century Africa, but its popular origins, right, most scholars will say, you know, it emerged around 1971, 1972, well, man, you know, hip-hop is clearly in its 50s now, so... Uh, you know, what does that mean for folks, right? Now you're starting to see, you know, cats ain't that them young 19, 20 year olds up on stage running around, right? And so it's interesting to see cats like, you know, for example, E40, uh, to see how he's uh, you know, continued his own empire, right? His his own development of wealth and development of products and whatnot. Because, you know, he's even said people like him, you know, old cats like him. You can't just keep doing this entertainment thing. Um, you know, it's there's a there's a shelf life. So fascinating stuff, uh, you know, um, to reflect on. You know, I'm debating on whether I should do a DMX special. I probably should. I'll have to reach out to some folks. If you're somebody interested, you know, hit hit a brother up. Hit a brother up. Let me get to my guest Uh, this week. um, Close personal friend. I've known uh, Sister Myra for a long time. Uh, My whole family has. We've known Myra probably now for I don't know 20 years or something like that. We met, uh, of course, back in the Dina days, the Pasadena days. Um, she was a community outreach director at uh, Lake Avenue Church. Uh, she was there for many, many years. She served on uh, with the church's nonprofit star uh, nonprofit. Uh, the portion of that it was called Stars. She started that, you know, back in two thousand one. Um, she is the chair of the Community Christian Development Association. She's the board chair, right? She represents a place for pastors to be recognized and respected as we stand uh, for the community. Um, you know some of the people that know her. You know, literally, they say you know Pastor Meyer is literally an answer to prayer for leadership that can strengthen the you know the organization. She's currently um, she's currently working as I believe the director, the executive director for the Clergy Community Coalition. Um, In, in Pasadena uh, She has been a minister She's been an advocate She's been uh, a person of faith In a community that a lot of people And we're going to get into this in the interview, right? Because a lot of people don't think Places like Pasadena uh, Have anything, you know, <laughs> wrong with them, right? They just think, oh, it's Southern California You got the Rose Parade over there It's just, oh, it's sunny But there is some major crap going on in that community and Myra has been there her family has been involved she has been involved uh, and I can say this she has continued uh, to grow um, right and you know from the position that she came in at into where she's at now and she she's going to share some of that here in this interview as we were you know we were talking um, and uh, you know she's just been you know it's something to be said about somebody who's just who stays in a community and honestly it's part of what I I uh, uh, uh mourn and lament for in my own life just not being in a community for decades um and you know really just investing and knowing all the nuances knowing the people knowing families uh she's worked with countless uh amounts of folks uh there and uh she's continued uh, you know like i said just to do the work um so, uh, again, I wanted to bring her out. She's also around with, I think, believe she's with The Voices as well. Uh, you know, an up-and-coming, uh, uh, even though, you know, her and I are almost probably the same age. Um, but, you know, the, the Voices is a project, uh, I believe, started by uh, Leroy... I'm forgetting that brother's last name, but it, it was, it was designed to give voice to people who don't normally get, for example, you know, called to the stage, um, you know, at, you know, for, to be, uh, cause you know, conferences, conferences keep the same people being recycled over and over and over and over again. Um, but Meyer grew up in East Los Angeles. Uh, uh, she serves, like I said, she served on the pastoral staff of Lake Avenue Church. Uh, she spent the past 18 years, really 20 years now. Right? It's 2021. Yeah, she's been 20, 20 plus years leading uh, in the local community and casting vision for just um, what that looks like. What does it mean to be Black, Latinx, Asian, um, you know, trans, you know, living in this particular era uh, and in that particular area? Uh, Meyer spends a lot of time mentoring and learning from younger leaders In her church and community And like I said she serves uh, on the board She's the board chair uh, for the excuse me christian community development association ccda she's been married to chris uh and a lot of people thought chris and i looked like each uh, look looked similar in fact when we went to the same church i used to get mistaken for him he used to get mistaken for me you know he's a couple you know brothers there he's like hey y'all y'all look alike right <laughs> so anyways um love him as well man great guy they have uh, four children ranging in age from seven all the way up into, you know, 20, about to hit 30 I think her oldest is about to hit 30 uh, So enjoy this conversation And again, listen to the story Listen to the narrative What she had to go through Especially being a Latina woman in You know, in a heavily male-infused ministry setting um, Hope you enjoyed this conversation Stay safe, stay strong, y'all And rest in power, DMX Alright, here we go
3: Right. Uh,
1: for everything. Oh, so. uh, for everything. So Oh mercy. Well, um, yeah, I hit record. levels are sounding good.
2: All right. Uh,
1: all right. Well, Myra, thank you so much for taking time to come on Profane Faith uh here. Uh you know, you, you may be put on the watch list next, but I, hopefully not. Hopefully not it's a radical liberal Latinx woman. Um I'm too small time. I'm too small time. Too small time. <laughs> that's well. That's what I thought. I was like, "But well, who's even listening to this podcast?" Except my, you know, my 50 friends. But hey, you know, word gets out. Um, so, uh, you know, what's been happening in in life from from birth to now? How did Myra become the Myra M. Nolan? Wow. Um,
3: I was just talking to a, a local pastor, telling him a little bit about what a chola is. <laughs> <There you laughs> when go. I was seven, when I was seven years old, I really wanted to be one. <laughs>
1: that's that's awesome. That is awesome.
3: <laughs> and you know, because I was seven, you know, it didn't quite happen. Had I been 13, you know, maybe I would have been more at risk. But you know, growing up in East LA, um, it it was just it was like you know most urban um, places that are at risk, right? We know what that means, Dan. Yeah. Those kinds of places in the U.S. And, uh, and you know, my, my grandma um, used to walk with me. We, she'd pick me up from school once a week, and we would walk down Whittier Boulevard um, all the way to this um, place called um, Blanquita, La Blanquita, Theater, okay, this little small theater um, in the heart of East LA, and they played all the Mexican movies. Like, they every week they had a new movie. <laughs> that's what's up. So, my would take me and we would watch like Pedro Infante, Vicente Fernández, like all of the oh, wow. movies. So, I grew up watching those every week. And then when we were walking home, it was just getting dark. And you know, that's when cruising was happening in the middle of the week. And so, all the cars were going down the street, all the lowriders were lined up you know, on Whittier Boulevard at the shopping center there where Kmart was. (laughs) I
1: love it. I I
3: just went by all of the, all of the Cholos, all the Cholas, everybody leaning up on the cars. And, and I, I just wanted to be, I wanted, I wanted to be a Chola. I thought they were the coolest thing with the like lipstick and the eyebrow. Yeah. (laughs) So anyway, that was me, that was me growing up, but you know, that never happened. Um, And why, I don't know. My mom, you know, from the time I was 10, worked two jobs,
2: Damn.
3: Uh, was a single mom. And so she was not home a lot. Okay. So my grandmother was there most of the time, but sometimes she would leave. So we were, we did the whole latchkey thing. Yeah. Um, we, I remember a couple of babysitters like in, in short periods, but for the most part, you know, it was just my mom and us and she worked a lot. Wow. Well, so, you know, really by the grace of God, um, by the grace of God, that's all I can say. Um, just kind of made it out, out of there in one piece <laughs> you know and i and I've stayed in the area until my um my mid to late twenties pretty much, and then we moved up to Pasadena when Chris and I got married um and we've been here for twenty years now
1: wow wow man that's um so and, and so i obviously I, I i met you back in the day um back in the the early u i w i days um so how did you get into like the work that you're doing now? How did that even happen? Like and how was that even, you know, uh, you know, that um something that was on your radar, so to speak?
3: Yeah. Um, so when we when Chris and I were before we were married, we um we started looking for churches mm-hmm. and we tried a bunch of places and Chris was was raised Catholic and you know, pretty pretty you know, kind of Easter funerals, you know, kind of church experience, and um, so I just knew that it was important for me, for our family to have, to be growing in our faith and be engaged that way, and so um, a friend of mine, when grew up at Lake, Robert Lincoln said, why don't you try our church? And, you know, really, we we tried a lot, and I'm so glad we didn't end up in some of those places, <laughs> including Calvary Chapel, dear Jesus. Oh, wow. Jesus is not there. I cannot, I can't imagine that. Um, <laughs> but anyway, um, yeah, so, so we went to Lake, and at the time, um, the pastor that was teaching there, you know, Chris just liked his teaching style, and he was like, I could come back here. And that was it. Like was that's that, all
1: it was. That's, I and, come back to it. Was that Gordon at the time, or was? It, yeah, yeah, Gordon. Gordon Kirk. Gordon Kirk. That's what I was thinking. Oh. That's what I was thinking. Okay. Um, and cause, yeah. go ahead.
3: Well, and that's how we ended up. That's how we ended up at Lake, um, because a friend of mine grew up there. And, uh, and that's kind of how I got involved in everything. I mean, when we were going through the, the membership mm-hmm. stuff, we heard about stars and we were like, oh, that sounds like something we could be involved in. And we started volunteering and we became the super volunteers that went to, <laughs> with the weekly thing, brought our kids with us, did the weekend stuff. And, and that's how I ended up in that role and ended up running stars eventually. Okay. It was just through volunteering.
1: That and that's 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 fascinating because I and 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 so why I mean because that's and I think that's how I met you through was was through stars. Um, and what was stars just for those who don't you know know the acronyms they're like stars, <laughs> but and what and and why youth, why young people? Because I remember that's that was kind of where our our niche, yeah, yeah.
3: So stars back then it stood for students and tutors achieving real success, it was started by a woman that was connected to CCDA. Um, and really did, you know, she did it right. She walked the neighborhood and got to know people and asked questions and asked folks, you know, what they what what they needed, um, became a neighbor, really. And mm-hmm. that's Jill Shook. Um, oh, and, yeah. uh, and that's how SARS was 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 started. And um, and so the the draw for us is that we were at this white church. And we liked it. You know, people were really, really nice to us. Um, and we we really appreciated Gordon's teaching. Um, and then when we saw we suddenly saw a part of Pasadena that we didn't know existed before. Mm-hmm. You know, people know Pasadena for the Rose Parade right. and the Rose Bowl and Old Town and clubs and shopping and restaurants. Yep. But, you know, Pasadena is like any other place. Like it has like real people that look like you and me <laughs> that work in all those places. Right?
2: right. Right.
3: And so I suddenly saw kids that were me
2: hmm.
3: <laughs> that lived just, you know, all around the church um, yeah. neighborhood that I didn't see when I showed up on Sunday mornings when everyone's asleep. Right. Right. <laughs> everyone's. When I mean, with all when all the Christians invade the community, park all over, blocking people's driveways and stuff, just to come. <laughs> and, and so, yeah, I saw the kids that looked like me, and that was it, you know. And that's how we got connected.
1: Yes, yeah, yeah. Well, and I remember, I mean, at the time, you know, you're right. I mean, I thought the same thing when I, you know, got into Pasadena. It was just like, you know, it's like Rose Bowl. It's almost like it's kind of like you know, bougie, right? It was just kind of like. But then once mm-hmm. you get into it, right? It's it's a unique. Aspect about Pasadena, right? I think at one point, I don't know if it still is. It was like next to DC. It it was the other, the only other city, and that had you know nonprofits, as many nonprofits. Mm-hmm. How how have you and 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 I and I know because I've been around you. How have you navigated some of these circles and church work as a woman, it's a Latinx woman, as a mom? How, I mean, how, how, how? Yeah, how is that? Because obviously, you know, you're you're too old as they're grown. I follow them on on Instagram. I get Brittany out there in New York City, just just li- living it up, man. But uh, <laughs> how, how did you do that? I'm just I'm I'm really curious.
3: Yeah, yeah. And so Pasadena is, you know, right up there with um, with DC with the number of nonprofits, um, tons of them. Like way back then, it was like 1,200. I'm sure there's more now. <sighs> Wow, and uh, yeah, it's a it's a tough it's a tough place. There are it's changed a bit, but it's still it's still pretty much the way it was back then. I mean, for the most part, the successful nonprofits in town are run by white people. <laughs> okay. You know, I yeah, mean, I, have, I have some some, some um, female um, ED friends mm-hmm. that are white, and you know, they they've told me that I could be real with them. So I'll send a text like. I was just on this website and heck no, that's not who I'm looking to support. Like, why are all these nonprofits still run by white people? And I'm saying this to like two white women who are running nonprofits. Yeah. And sometimes I'll get like a text back and sometimes I just get crickets, right? Like, oh, there she goes insulting us. But, you know, it's still, those are the nonprofits that are serving, you know, the community that I live in, the black and brown kids. And why can't we get to where the black and brown people are running the nonprofits that are serving black and brown people. I mean, I don't know when that's going to happen, but it's, it's very, very slow. Now, don't get me wrong. There are amazing organizations that are run by people of color here. Um, but I'll tell you one thing, they're not funded the same way,
2: Hmm.
3: not funded the same way. You know, uh, women are not as trusted with money. So, you know, um, female led or, you know, nonprofits tend to have a harder time fundraising, not all of them, but they tend to generally. And then, you know, there's just a, you know, if you look like me, I trust you with my money. If you don't look like me, I'm not quite sure. I'll give you a little bit, you know, see what happens. But man, that, that is like still deep, deep rooted, a deep rooted reality in the nonprofit world.
1: Definitely. I don't think enough people know about that. And just some of the differences between giving. Right. When you got a person of color and, you know, and and of course you add intersectionality. Right. It's like, okay, well, men of color get a certain. But then you get women of color and it just it just kind of you can just see it going down, down and down. Um. Yeah, how has funding, especially in a city like Los Angeles, well, Pasadena, but, you know, Los Angeles County, where, you know, you got Hollywood, you got big tech, you got, you know, uh, professional athletes organization. How how has that, you know, there's obviously money. What is it, L.A. was ranked at, uh, if, if it was in, in the economy of the world, it'd be like 12th in the world, you know? So there's money. There's money in, in the city of angels. How, you know, and-, and how has that affected, you know, just some of the work that you do and some of the other stuff that y'all are doing in that in that particular area?
3: Yeah, there, there definitely is. And L.A. is a beast because it's so big. Um, and uh, Pasadena, you know, it's probably our own fault. We just think <laughs> we're so special. <laughs> so we're You know, we're so close to L.A. like it, I, I can get downtown in 12 minutes. Down right. the 110, like a straight shot, except it curves a lot because it was built for people to drive their little car in the right. <laughs> right. Um, but yeah, uh, Pasadena it, Pasadena itself, there's so much wealth here. There's so much wealth. I, I think you probably remember um, the economist at Oxy that, that wrote the um, Tale of Two Cities.
2: Mm-hmm.
3: You know, that there's this report of like these very, very different lived experiences and different Pasadenas. One of them is wealthy, the other one is poor, and they're both really proud. And that basically describes this community. And so um, L.A. money might make it up here, but it seems like people around here depend on Pasadena. You know, this is just kind of like where things stay. Okay. And I'm I'm just seeing, you know, I, I've been meeting with this group of um, people. Some of them are inter- are gang interventionists. Um, some of them are work, work in prevention work, um, and they're all struggling. Mm. All the organizations that they represent—they are passionate. They're about the work. They are like 98% people of color, and we're still having conversations about how do we bring whatever we have to this work, and not rely on the big grants and the city to fund it because it's not sustainable. People get mad at us and then they take the money. You know, we know what we need to do. And it's like it's 2021. And these people have been working in this community for decades, some of them their entire lives. And we're still having conversations about scarce resources and how can we collaborate so that we can actually bring resources together to actually get some work done and figure out how it gets funded later. But we don't have money. Basically, that's what everyone's saying. We don't have the money, but this is our problem. This is our work and we're going to do it.
1: It's well, insane. That is insane. I, I, and I, th- I think about, you know, a place, you know, like, right, like in that area, you know, you, like you said, the tale of two cities. And, you know, and, and we know, right, the the wealth gap is, you know, continues to to increase. Um, you know, I remember always, you know, because I loved, you know, going around the Rose Bowl, whether you walk it or you ride your bike. And I remember just looking up and, you know, and seeing those houses that were up lined up around the hills and stuff like that and just at the time this was what 2005 2006 um you know those houses were you know in the double millions of dollars right it's not even just like one million it's like you know it's like 10 12 13 million and and I remember I got involved with is Joe Coletti still around there
3: you know he they are I haven't heard very much from he and Sophia but they are still here
1: okay all right I I I got involved with him because he was teaching a class at Fuller and He's like, oh, come, you know, we're doing this initiative, the 10-year plan to end homelessness. And I remember, you know, just doing some of the work and just looking at, you know, again, just the breakdown of incomes and just what it costs to actually live. And people are paying cash for these houses. Like, I couldn't get my mind around that when I was barely trying to pay for rent, that these cats was paying cash um, how, I mean, let, let me ask you this, living in a city that a lot of people know the, 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 the popularity of it. What are some of the, particularly for Latinx peoples, man, what are some of the challenges? What are some of the areas and particularly, you know, as it relates to race and intersectionality? I mean, cause you know, I, I know we talk a lot about this in our keeping it 100 group. Um, but what are, yeah, what are some of the challenges that, you know, that folks might not know in regards to, Trying to do nonprofit work, activist work in a city like Pasadena.
3: Yeah, well, you know, it comes down to the dollar, Dan. You know, economic opportunity is everything. If you can get to where people have, you know, good, sustainable employment, um, and are able to afford some things, you know, a lot of a lot of issues start to decrease. And so, but we just don't have enough people that are willing to sacrifice to kind of even the playing field. Yeah. You know, we have people with a lot of money that give some of it, you know, um, but that's not, it's not enough to, for sustainability. And then we have like a lot of middle-class people. Like I say, a lot of things that kind of are, oversimplify the situation. Like I say, two cities the wealthy and the poor. There's a lot of people in between, right? So if we were gonna have a conversation about that, then we can talk about that for an hour. Um, but it's just, there isn't just, there just isn't enough. Uh, so we had to fight really hard, our community to, to get to the $15 minimum, minimum wage passed.
1: Oh, you, oh, you guys got that
3: passed. It was, it was was just so, there was so much opposition to it. And it's like, come on, like these businesses are do so well in old town, you know, (laughs) we're just talking about pay the dishwashers some enough money so that they can actually ride their bike to work. Right. You know? Right. Like that's all that's all we're asking for. We're not even asking for pay him enough so that he could buy a house and a car. You know, it's just it's insane how 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 greedy we still are. Like we just, We hmm. can't just have enough to, like, keep our family fed and, and be good neighbors. We need to have more. And that's really what stands in the way of everything. Um, wow. But Pasadena is a rich, rich place in so many ways in the poor community You know, we have amazing young people here. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm so inspired by young people who are, they're going off to school and they're coming back to this community and living with their parents because they can't afford (laughs) to pay rent for an apartment here, right? That's it or anything, but they are like, they're committed. And so they're like starting organizations, you know, uh, there's one, there's a a new organization called Hood Liberation and it's all Mm -hmm. young Pasadena's for the most part. And they're like about empowering the black community and the brown community, you know, um, amplifying the voices of of black and brown businesses and getting people to shop and do business with black and brown people, um, highlighting the issues in their community. And they're like all about Dina, Strong, Dina. You know, I just love it. I love it. I'm like, how do we keep them here? Right. I'm trying to find people who are going to support these young people as they're building this, so they can stay here. Because I, I know at least one of them recently moved to another neighboring city because she she could not afford a place to live here. Mm-hmm. She could not find decent, affordable housing to live in. Actually, any place to live here, and had to to move, you know, 10, 15 minutes away but she's still invested here. I'm like, how do we get her back here? How do we create um, cre- create a, a stream so that these young people can rent here for a while and afford it and eventually be able to like, you know, lay down their own roots and buy something and yeah. continue here. Like we need that kind of sustainability, that kind of commitment that's like lifelong and it's just really hard.
1: Well, I, I, yes, yes. And I will say that that's unique. Um you know, to that, that particular area. And that's, that's amazing. And let me ask this then, uh, how have the continued Trump era policies affected what you do, especially in a city like Los Angeles with its history, Passing the same thing, right. You know, how, how have those policies continue to just wreak havoc?
3: Yeah. You know, so when I was running stars
2: uh-huh.
3: um, and, you know, we're all on a journey, right, Dan? So I could talk about myself and my experience. my story, you know, but I was a different person when I started that. Like I was the, the brown person that was not the most helpful. That mm. was part of part of the problem because I was colonized. Mm. You know, my paycheck came from white people. You know, the ministry that I was running was funded, you know, primarily by white dollars mm. and you know, like I said, Chris and I came to this to this church and people were really nice to us. And we we made really, really good friends who huh. are still friends with who have who have believed in us and supported us. And there's a lot of folks who really liked us, but they didn't like when we started talking differently, when we started really seeing things for what they were and seeing the issues and how, you know, oftentimes white funding, you know, white philanthropy you know, kept people in their place, you know, so the minute that the language started to change, you know, it affected some of our relationships. Um, you know, people like tutoring little kids, but then, you know, don't start talking about immigration because that's political. Like, like, I'm not here for that. I just want to help somebody with their homework, you know, and that again, I'm oversimplifying it because there are beautiful stories of people who were changed who were changed because they had a relationship with the young brown person and they saw the fear and what the struggles actually were, why they couldn't do better in school, because they were worried that their dad or their mom might be deported. You know, (laughs) like there's those stories that are are just so powerful. Um, But a lot of folks, you know, that was not the case. And it's like, don't talk about that. Don't talk about black lives matter. You know, like just the, the bootstrap mentality, all of that is just, so strong um, in, in the community even of folks who were supporting the ministry and who were kind to us I mean, we had so many people who were kind to us who suddenly were telling us like why do you have to be so angry why can't you be like so and so so and so mm. talks about things but doesn't talk about it the way you talk about it that's like <laughs> really volatile so your language is volatile
1: volatile <laughs> and,
3: Yes. And I'm like, oh my gosh, like I know what I would describe as volatile. I don't think that I am, but okay, give me an example. Right. Well, just, you know, this is what one person said to me, you know, just Jesus and anger just don't go together. And I'm like, (laughs) what scriptures are you reading? (laughs) You know, like, how are you going to say that Jesus was not angry? Jesus was always pissed off and he was pissed off at you, dude. (laughs) <laughs> you no, know? right it, but and so i'll say that so that takes me to it's a church man <laughs> it's a church like this is what the church has done mm. you know we have like we have raised polite christians yeah um and we have not challenged we have not been true to the real Jesus, you know, and what Jesus was fighting against, <laughs> you know, we just have not been true to that. And so we have people who are really nice to someone in the pew on Sunday morning, but really don't give a, a rip about, you know, their, their immigration struggles. Don't give a rip that, you know, they're afraid for their, for their, you know, 14-year-old son's life because a 14-year-old happens to be six feet tall and could be shot. Because, you know, somebody thinks he's he's a threat, even though he's still a child, (laughs) you know, just don't just don't don't care. Those things just become an inconvenience. And that's just the sad reality of, you know, of Christianity in the U.S. And it's very, very much a part of what has happened in the city, too.
1: Hmm. What um, how how did did you navigate some of those? I mean, because I remember, you know, and, and I and I bring up Trump for several reasons, because. One that was those ideological structures, right. Have, have not left. Um, and it, you know, it, those, those, I mean, I think about, what is it, Steven Miller, you know, who went to, you know, probably one of the most diverse high schools in, you know, Santa Monica high and whatnot. Like I knew people who knew him and were just like, Oh man, that guy was an idiot even then. Um, and you know, but you know, that, that his ideas, right. Of building the wall, uh, the way we looked at Latinx folks. I mean, the fact that you know, when Trump first ran, he's you know he's talking about you know this this is what you know big city people from Mexico are. <laughs> How have some of those showed up? And and I'll just name it. And in particularly some of the white evangelical circles that you've that you've run in. Um, and I asked that for several reasons. One, you know, our our our, our friend, our mutual friend, uh, brother Ephraim Smith, you know, who used to you know work out there for what was it? Uh, the uh, uh, City Vision or something like that. It wasn't World Vision. It was like City Impact.
3: World Impact. World Impact. World
1: Impact. There you go. Um and I remember he was just like, dude, like I can't this is just insane, right? Like, you know, right. like donors coming up to him and be like, Man, you know, like like just assuming, right? Because he's a Christian, like, you know, how you know, what about these, you know, these 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 liberals and Democrats? Like how do you, you know, and how do you even have a conversation with these non believers and how you know what are some of those things? I know you and I have been around some crazy ass speech sayings from different people. No names will be mentioned, but uh you know, some people who say some just far out crazy ass stuff. What are some of the things and how have you engaged with some of that post 2016? If that makes sense. I know that's a long winded thing. Yeah, yeah.
3: Um <laughs> I mean, I you know, it it's it, it varies, but it's kind of the same conversation, right? And, and I kind of alluded to it. Um, it's like, are we talking about the same Jesus? Yeah. Are we talking about the same Jesus? Because I don't think we are. You know, um, when all of this stuff started to happen, and you really started to see the divide—the people who were friends who suddenly, you know, they, you know, got questions like Ephraim did, <laughs> you know—and then we had to. There was a time where I, I may have like softened my response to that. You know, and sometimes I still will, you know, if I feel like God is saying, like, engage with this person that way, most most of the time I don't, because I just don't have the energy for that these days. But um, I don't know, it's tough. like, like I experienced, you know, in some of the work that I've done, um, donors actually saying, you know, some of the things that you're doing are just not really what we signed up for. Some of the things that you're saying are just not really something that I could support. Um, and I and I have to say, you know, wait a minute. You believed in me, you know, right. 15 years ago when I was a poster child for, you know, this organization, you know, for your philanthropic efforts. Right and, you know, I was like, can you write us an article? Can you do this? Can you, you know, like, and this is Myra, blah, blah, blah. And then now I'm in this other position, you know, of more influence. And now you're telling me that you're, you're not going to support this when I am running it, the person that you invested in leadership, like you invested, you know, tens of thousands of dollars into my leadership. And now I'm leading in this significant way. And you're going to say that you can't support this work right now when I am You know in this role like how are you gonna do that like that's not being friends (laughs) you know friends stay at the table with one another like i need you to stay being my friend and i need you to grow with me and so um and a couple of those conversations actually went well Mm -hmm. like you know one conversation like the the donor said like okay you know you're right yes we're going to continue to support and some people just still didn't so um it just—it just been hard. Like you just—you know—even the personal relationships have really not been enough.
1: Hmm. And what? And what? And what? And what? In what matter? What? Do you, what do you mean? Like personal relationships?
3: Well, I mean, because you think like you go to church with someone, you know, for <laughs> yeah, yeah. fifteen years. Yeah. And you have them over your house, and you go over their house, and so you think you have a friendship, right? Um, but when all this stuff happens, like even that wasn't enough. Like, I'm like, it's still me. It's still me. I'm just telling you what I really feel like what's really in my heart, what I felt unsafe to tell you before. I'm telling you now, you know, mm-hmm. and so that has not. So that that's why, you know, the whole the, the notion of racial reconciliation is so It's an aspiration, but it's so problematic, you know, because it's it's so limited. You know, it it still depends largely on white people's ability to understand and to rely and believe the person of color that they're in a relationship with. And so all the power Mm. is still there because they could still choose not to and the money goes away and the political support, the advocacy goes away, you know, so like that, how is there's, there's just something missing there. We, and I think part of it is because the church and we, in that whole conversation of racial reconciliation, accountability was never part of the equation. Making things right was never, there was no accountability there. It's like, let's just be friends. And you know, the brown, black and brown people were still doing a lot of the work all the emotional labor for sure. Right. And then when it, came, when it came time where something needed to be cash in, which, which what we've seen since 2016, people just weren't willing to pay, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. and walked away. And so I, I just think we, it, that, that conversation fell super short over the last 50 years. Um, and, you know, Shaniko Walker-Barnes says it best, is like, it's because y'all didn't listen to us. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, when women of color, we have a different we have a different currency and we're going to call you to some things. We're not just going to say, like, be our friend. We're going to say, and you need to do this. These are the things that you actually have to do to fix the problem. And that's love.
1: Hmm. So I, so I ask this question, a lot of of guests, you know, who, uh, you know, continue particularly. Latinx, black folk, you know, in in this era. And I always say this era because, you know, we have definitely taken a turn. I think the pandemic has shifted, which I want to ask you about that here in a second as well. But what keeps you connected? You talked about colonization, you were colonized. I don't know if you can share a little bit more about that and what keeps you connected and rooted in Christianity. Like with all the stuff that we know, and this is something, you know, I, I ask myself, if not on a daily basis, like all the stuff we know about Christianity now. Right. Um, and it's it, it just given the last hundred and fifty years. Right. Of its history in this country. Uh, what keeps you remaining connected to, you know, that type of spirituality, especially when right when you have some other folks who say, you know, hey, man, that's you know, that's a white man's religion. That's that's white folks, you know, doing that. We need to go and find our own Um Thoughts on that?
3: Well, I think um over the last 10 years is it's really been knowing that who Jesus really was. Jesus was not a white dude, you know, <laughs> you know, and so Jesus' ethic, Jesus' life, um, like I'm down with that. You know, and so um and then I think a, a lot of it is my friends. You know, I just have a lot of friends that are in that space. I um, I think there's a lot of power, um, and you know, Christianity is just you 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 kind you kind of can't separate that from Jesus. I think Indigenous people have figured out how to do that, right? But you know, that's like a still small voice in the wilderness that nobody was really listening to um so actually that's where i find a lot of life (laughs) is Mm. in Indigenous people's understanding of jesus and how to live ethically you know um, according to to jesus and who who jesus was so but it's hard I'll, i'll tell you it's hard and and i know dan this is like a kind of a sticky conversation because you, you and I have a lot of friends in common, Yeah, um, you know, all over the place. right? Right. Like evangelicalism saying, hell, not evangelicalism, you know, and everyone in between. And, and it's been really rough for us as we, as, as people of color, as we've all been discovering, like, are where we are in relation to white supremacy, mm-hmm. in our own process of, of, of decolonizing our theologies and figuring out who we are as black and brown people, you know, what our roots are, what we bring to the table that is so rich. Like those journeys have been hard on each one of us individually. And so we we need one another, but in the struggle and in the figuring things out, you know, oftentimes we've turned our backs on one another. I mean, I. And it's been rough. It's been rough. Mm. You know, even in, in, in even in my women of color space, you know, I, I because I didn't say like F you to the church, <laughs> you know, and fully walked away. I felt super judged by by some of my sisters, mm. like, well, she just don't know. She just don't know yet. And I'm like, how is it possible that I do know and my experience is a little different and my sense of connection to Jesus and 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 my place in life. Um, my work is just different from yours, I mean, I I think it's possible. You know, I I don't judge anybody who walked away from the church, not a single person, because I know why. I've seen it, I've felt it, I know why. And yet I have remained a little closer to that space, sometimes in it, sometimes adjacent, when some of my, you know, some of my sisters have chosen to just run the other direction. And the judgment just really seems to be like from the folks who left. You know, like, I'm like, I'm not stupid. <laughs> like, at one point, one point, you had respect for me. You know, there was mutual respect. And, and so that's been really hard. It's been, it's felt pretty lonely. Mm. Um, but, you know, I, our family... We're in this community. We're connected. You know, we're, you know, our kids are still part of Lakes Ministry. We're still connected at Lake Avenue Church. Um, even the role that I'm in now, Lake Avenue Church has been really generous and is supporting the organization that I'm running now. But it's it's about more than Lake Avenue for me. It's about the Black church and the Brown church and the Asians in our community and the white people. Like, the problem of white supremacy is way too big for any one group to dismantle. It's going to take us all. And so I still yeah. feel like having friendships and kinship with people who are white is still part of my life like I'm not rejecting everybody because they look different from me like how is that better than what's been done to us (laughs) you know we're all traumatized and messed up because of white supremacy and I feel like that's still part of my work I'm going to work with whoever wants to and I'm I'm not going to spend a lot of energy on the folks who are denying it I'm not trying to convince anybody you know but you know, a lot of a lot of white Christians who are not denying it are still stuck in some places, and some some people are are in a space where they want to spend a lot of their time helping people get unstuck. Mm-hmm. That's not really me, um, but I'm saying like this is our work. If you want to be a part of it, let's go. And you know, and that's just where I am. And I I, I don't make apologies because it really feels right. Yeah, feels right. Feels like that's where I'm supposed to be, and I'm seeing some fruit of that. It's still challenging. But, you know, and, and again, I don't judge people who don't want to do that work. Not one one bit.
1: Yeah. Well, I, and I will say, I mean, just, you know, for anyone listening, I, I you know, your house is like the the, the haven to go to when, when we're in town. It's like, <laughs> I already know, you know, there's there's a spot over there um, uh, at y'all's house. And you, and, and, you know, and that I think that's, you know, that's part of it. Right. It's like y'all have continued to use. Uh, what you have, right, as 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 part of that, you know, that community and whatnot, um, you know, with that in 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 mind, I because I love that and I appreciate that because I think that's something that you know that I rest, that I've wrestled with in terms of what does what does it look like, right? You know, because like on on because you know, I mean, I'm I'm split ethnicity, but I look black, and so a lot of black friends are like, man, why are you you know continuing with that religion and it's just like well for me once you boil away some of the colonized theology there's actually some beauty there <laughs> that uh uh that you can engage with that i think it's it's important you know to have what are some of the things that you've read recently what are some things that you know that have helped shaped where you're at right now and in 2021 and that and that connects back to what i was what, what i'm curious like how has the pandemic affected how, how and what you do.
3: Yeah, so I'll tell you, um, like a lot of people with privilege, let me just say that, people with privilege, so I count myself as one of those, because we own a home. Um, we started growing stuff. Hmm. So some people have have paid attention a little bit or seen some stuff. I, 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 haven't been super active on social media for a while. Cause I just needed a little bit of a break. Yeah. I didn't even know how badly I needed it until I realized how much energy it was actually sucking out of me. Right. Right. <laughs> Responding to the people who didn't understand and were mad at me and sending me messages. And I was like, okay, I'm not going to say anything because I just don't have time for this right now. Like I need time for my healing. So I'm going to disengage a little bit. Um, but we started growing stuff. So, like our family, Chris and Quincy got out there. They built some um, some planter boxes, you know, that we put in the backyard. We like took up the grass. So we turned that whole back back. Do you remember that back grass, like way in the back? Oh yeah. We the whole grass, put in some boxes there, and started growing stuff. Um, and that took us into, or it took me because I spend the most time out there, into a another level of like decolonization.
2: Mm, yeah. <laughs>
3: the, I, I i would not have ever thought about because we're so removed i'm so removed from how my ancestors grew their own food
2: mm.
3: because they actually had land that they could work you know like i grew up in east la on a regular city urban block like people weren't growing stuff there was concrete everywhere we didn't even have trees on our block right. you know right so, so removed from like from our roots so in that i have actually been able to be more in touch with With my ancestors, like this is what my like great 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 abuela did, you know, (laughs) you know like we grew stuff, we got our hands dirty. Look, I have no nails right now. Um, (laughs) Put them back on, though. I'll tell you, I circle and like I may not be wearing heels, but I long nails. You could actually like pick up seeds and put them in little holes with. Get out of
1: here! (laughs) Get out of here with that.
3: Well, anyway, um, and so people, I think people have (laughs) laughed, like, what in the world happened to Myra? She turned into a little farmer in her backyard during the pandemic. There you go. But understanding, like, how much we rely on, like, machines, how much we rely on how badly, like, we take care of, It's just a whole thing. Like, I even took a permaculture uh, permaculture course. Oh, wow. And so I'm just, like, thinking about everything differently. And just the way that we consume, the way that we think about everything Mm -hmm. is so Western, And that's not who I am. Like, that's not who my people were. Like, we actually knew about things, like about saving things and about working land and about giving back. And it's a completely different ethic in life that we are so, have become so separated from. And so the reason I say that is because, and I mentioned earlier, indigenous people have so much to teach and indigenous people are like, you know, my ancestors, your ancestors, you know, and there is so much like we understand Jesus differently. How can how and Randy Whitley says this like Western, you know, white Western Christians are probably the least equipped to really understand to to interpret scripture. Right. To interpret the life of Jesus. Right. You know, and so that's that part of what keeps me on the table is because I think that that me and my people, we have a lot to teach the world. Mm. And it's been there. It's been in the ground for generations and generations. And, but we are here, we've been here and we have so much to offer. And so I stay, part of the reason I stay at the table is because we're just going to keep doing it. We're just going to keep talking. We're going to keep speaking, writing, yeah. teaching. And, you know, at some point, some people will listen and some won't. And what, we, what can we do about that?
1: <laughs> yeah. 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 I love it because y'all have y'all have actually got some some chickens going on back there too.
3: So do you? That's <laughs> you right. actually, we actually.
1: <laughs> yes, I love our ladies in the backyard. They are Ooh. hilarious. We well, because I um, uh, you know, we cleaned our garage just you know just every every shift of seasons. One of the things I've had to adjust to of living in a place that actually has seasons uh, is we clean our garage, and there was an infestation of uh, mice. And, I mean, just they were everywhere, Myra. They were, I mean, they didn't even give a shit anymore. They were just like, hey, he's on the saw. We What? What you want? <laughs> so, of course, all my pets had a field day. It was so much that the vet was like, yeah, I think you need to keep your cat inside because, like, her belly is, like, distended. <laughs> um, But the chickens, I didn't know the chickens liked mice. I mean, they were going to down on them because right when we cleaned I mean they scattered everywhere the chickens were living their best life and like laser pointed <laughs> their beaks were knocking their heads and they're fighting over the scrouds. I'd never seen that before never never
3: yeah yeah there's something else man it's the funniest thing like I'm sure that it was a lot simpler to keep chickens you know right than my ancestors, you know, kept chickens, but because um, there's all kinds of stuff that people do with chickens now. But yeah, there, it's been it's been great for us. It's been great to like be able to go to our backyard and get food.
1: Right, right.
3: <laughs> you know, like that's just been really a really beautiful kind of like you know, circling back around to how life could be when we're, we're not relying on uh, just a few people um, to feed us. And those people are getting really wealthy, like the sustainability thing has been a journey for us during the pandemic and it and it gives us power i i I think that's what has been really good is it 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 helps to like um sort of balance out like you actually can have power over your own life you know that because for such a long time i felt i have felt so powerless in the systems that i've worked in you know like where the money's always come from, you know, all of that is just, it really robs us, you know, I think of dignity. And I think realizing um, that, you know, you're kind of your God-given dignity and your God-given power and your ability and your own agency as a human to to create and not be so dependent has been really um, amazing, a really amazing part of my spiritual journey during this time.
1: That's amazing. I love I love hearing that. And I think that, you know, I mean, especially like you said, getting back to the ground, getting back to um, what that's about. I know, again, we've, you know, we've tried to do that and plant, you know, different things. And I, and you're right. I mean, I think the the pandemic, right, has helped. <laughs> At least for me, I've thought like, huh, I, if the if the grid goes down, like, what are we going to do? Like, how do we, you know, collect water? How do you, you know, harvest water? Like there's so many like I got two fifty-gallon uh, barrels, and just I'm amazed at how much water just comes off our roof when it rains. Um, it I am amazed at how quick the seasons moved here. Literally six weeks ago, we had damn near four feet of snow right outside. Right, and it's like you know collecting that, harvesting that, and it's like. People and and again, it's just I, and I speak to myself. I've become very dependent on. Oh, I'm. I, I need a snack. Okay, let me just run to the Walgreens or let me just run to one of the stores and stuff. And so that's a beautiful thing, you know. Like you said, you know, being able to connect with that. Um, shifting gears a little bit, and I know, you know, I don't. I don't want to keep you all day. I, I could talk with you all day. But how have you have you been a parent in this? Like, what you know, you got kids. I mean, you got uh, a son in high school. Yes, A junior, sophomore. Sophomore. Yeah. Jeez. Hard to believe. I still remember him. Just, oh my gosh. And you have a, a younger daughter. What grade is she in?
3: Yeah, she is in the third grade.
1: Yeah. How's that? Woo. Third grade. How's that been? You know, just the online learning and yeesh, all that.
3: Um. Yeah, it's been, um, it's been harder for her because she's a little more social or a lot more social. So she really misses her friends. Um. And so, you know, there's still like some of the, the little girl drama, you know, she was like, so-and-so said so-and-so about me and I'm just not going to be your, you know, be your friend <laughs> anymore. I'm like, Oh Lord. Cause you know, I already did that with two girls, like <laughs> I two teenage girls already. And so I have like, just, I'm going to be 50. I just don't have a lot of patience for like girl, little girl drama. And so poor, poor Zion, she's just like, gosh, mom, like, I'm so harsh. I'm like, no, 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 no. Don't get wrapped up in that. Just like, hang up, hang up right now. <laughs> right,
2: right. Um,
3: and so, you know, it's, so it's been hard for her. She really wants to see friends. Um, and, but, but Q, he's, he's, he's our non-social introvert.
1: Okay, okay.
3: So he, he's been fine. Like, he doesn't need to go be, hang, you know, hanging out with a whole bunch of people at school. <laughs> and, and he, he surprised me. He did say that he would consider going back. Yeah. You know, like to do like the hybrid thing, um, probably just for like, because that's what he can handle like a little bit. But he he probably would wish that it was like that all the time, you know, where he could go sometimes <laughs> into people, but, you know, not have to deal with people if he didn't absolutely have to. So he's been better. Okay. And he's like, you know, I have like two good friends and that's good. I'm good with that. I don't need to be in crowds. Um, so it's been different, but I know that it's been a struggle for other people. And again, I have to say like, we're, we're privileged. We Mm. we could go out in the backyard. There's people who are living in apartments who Mm. the kids are just stuck inside all day. You can't go anywhere. You don't have a front yard or a front porch or, or whatever. So in our very, very privileged life, it hasn't been awful, but Mm -hmm. I know that it is because we have privilege and for a lot of folks and because, you know, Chris and I can work at home, we can work from anywhere. Um, we can go out when we need to, my work is local. So I do need to get out there sometimes. Um, but there's people who have no choice and their kids are stuck and the parent has to go work at a restaurant or a target or whatever. So, um, I always say that because I want to, I, I feel like I have to acknowledge all the time, like my privilege.
1: (laughs) Yeah, no, I'm, I'm with you. I, I, I know, you know, Emily and I have talked about a lot about that as well. I mean, I think about, you know, just, you know, even here in Chicago, prices are, skyrocketing here in, you know, in Chicago as well. I mean, I would say they're very comparable to where Pasadena was in 2010, right? Um, And there's only, when we got to Chicago, it was a 12% price differential in the cost of living between, uh, you know, Chicago proper and and Los Angeles. Now I would say it's shrunk down to about three um, and, you know, quickly rising. And again, even downtown, I mean, the downtown, as you know, you've been here, is not the downtown that we once knew of, you know, Chicago, it's preppy, it's this. I mean, you got condos going for 15, 18, 25 million. Again, people paying cash. Yeah. <laughs> cash. Mm-hmm. Ooh, so Lord, um, I get that. So naming that privilege, I, I get that. I, I, I will say that and, and also say that I'm not sure financially what the, the future is going to hold for somebody like Mahalia, you know, who's you know, just about to enter high school. Um lastly real quick um what does it, so where are you at currently so you i know you said lake is still a a, a supporter of you but what what do you currently do because i know i i knew there was a transition in there and uh, yeah what what's what's all that about and what what do you got which got what you got going on right now
3: yeah um so yeah it was just it was time it was time for for a change and there was there were many many times where I felt like I just need to get out. I just need to get out. I'm just like too in the center of like a space where I feel like like I can't expand, like I can't take the deep breaths and say what I want to say because stuff is going to happen, there's going to be repercussions, you know, or I have to be more careful. I just for such a long time I was in a space like that and um and I'm not just talking about like in the local church, I'm talking about in the whole sphere of like Christianity and white evangelicalism. Um, and, and there was times where I begged God, I'm like, please, can I go now? You know? And, and it just, there just came a day where I've, I just felt completely free. Hmm. You know, like, like God said, like, okay, now it's time, like, go ahead and dream, like, what do you, about the next thing, and that process from, from that moment was probably a year and a half to when I actually um, left my role at Lake, hmm. and so what I'm doing now is I'm the executive director, the first um, official, like, staff person of the Clergy Community Coalition, which has started 15 years ago um, by um, mostly, you know, pastors of color in the city, and, you um, you know, we work with, with city leaders and, um, you know, f- other folks who actually get a lot of critique. And, you know, we have to bring the critique too as a local church to the people who have power and the systems that they run that continue to oppress people. Um, but I am, I am um, leading this organization and where our work is about um, being in relationship with um, power, <laughs> um, the other forms of power outside of the church and I, and uniting the local church for um, for creating a community that is more just.
2: Mm.
3: So and and we're a long way from it. you know, uh, we saw what happened in the church, like people you know, chose sides, and so not every not every church that is a part of the CCC believes exactly the same in, you know in, in the same threads. And so it, it is a process of unifying. Um, some of it will happen through relationships. Some people will be ready to come along. Some won't, but we're about um, the power of the local church to actually create a community that would bear good witness to who Jesus is. And so we we hold the relationships with folks in power, um, but we're working towards more mutuality in those relationships. And those are the questions that I was asking. You know, the church is not just a place where people were, you know, local, elected, Um, leaders and and others can come and say like, this is what we need from you. Like we have power too. Mm -hmm. (laughs) We have a lot of power. And so how do we harness that power of a church of a local church that can be transformed together and can actually speak to power. Um, so that's, that's the work that I'm doing now. It's still, you know, I'm still working with Christians for the most part, but I'm more ecumenical in my approach and, um, and I just believe it's possible. I believe that we, the people who live on these city blocks, we can actually create a, a community that is sustainable and that is good for everyone. I love it. So
1: yeah. I love it. I love it. I love, and, and I, and I've appreciated, you know, the work that you've done and, and the, the attitude and just kind of the worldviews, which is you know one of the reasons why I was like, all right, let me reach out to my, I think it's just time, to, time to get, time to get you on the, on the podcast to talk. Cause I think, there's so much of this that just doesn't go, you know, talked about. And there's so many folks like yourself and, you know, who are doing, you know, this this type of of work. And, 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 and in that meaning that, like you said, what well, you said at the beginning, right, it's like we're all on the news every night. You know, it's like, you know, I, I'll, I'll speak for myself. CNN doesn't call me when there's some kind of national crisis. So it's like, you know, but there's still work being done that doesn't take away anything. Of what is, what is being lifted up and, and negotiated with, you know, over there. So uh, this is good stuff. What, uh, where can folks find you at? Let's say they want to bring you out, you know, and uh, I don't know how, you know, how how the org handles honorariums. Maybe somebody wants to, you know, pay you what they pay Clinton, you know, maybe, you know, 150000 to come out and speak for 45 minutes and share your wisdom. Yeah.
3: So, so the organization, um, the clergy Community Coalition is my heart because um, I believe that it is what gives my voice integrity like being rooted locally and doing work in my local community, that is a platform from which I can speak into other places. So my, and any of the, my, my conversations on a national level are fully informed by my work here on the ground, you know and I get to bring like that perspective like a national and global perspective to my community. You know, so I'm a systems thinker so I see how it's all interconnected. Um, the reason I say that is because um, my work at the CC is so important and it's like, I made a commitment that a large part of my work is going to be local because that's what gives me the ability to speak about things. That said, I, um, I really wanted to make sure that I had space to do other things. And so my commitment is, is not 100%. It's 100% for the time that I'm doing that work, but it's not all I'm doing. So I wanted to leave space to work with women of color and support people of color. So, um, you know, one of my big um, areas that I'm involved in is um, organizations is Voices, you know, in addition to CCDA, so chairing the board. Um, But Voices Project, I'm on the elder board for that. And I'm also on the board of the Voices School for Liberation and Transformation. And so that's all about amplifying and, may, and providing accessibility and a new space for people of color to learn, be educated, um, and just engage in the world. And so people of color, women of color, and then organizations that really want to lean into being places that where, where people of color can thrive. So if there's, if there's pastors that are like trying to figure out like, do I really wanna do this? What is the cost? What do I need to be doing? What do I need to be thinking about? I'm thinking about like the higher level leaders, um, leadership teams in churches and faith-based nonprofits. Um, it, that foundational level conversations, the theological examinations of our, of our motivations and those kinds of things and really facing that decision. Do I really want to do this? Because I think my the last 20 years of being in that space has really equipped me and I just don't know very many people that lasted 20 years. Um, so mm-hmm. I can tell you the conversations that happened in the break room and I can tell you the conversations that happened in the boardroom hmm. in, an organization, in a, in a white led organization. And not a lot of people can actually access both of those. And so I think I can be helpful for folks who really want to do it. Yeah. Um, So, I'm, you know, I'm in the process of actually starting um, officially, you know, that that organization. But I've been doing that work for a long time. Sometimes paid, sometimes not. Um, But people can reach me just by emailing me. You can also just be on the Clergy Community Coalition website on the contact us and you'll get me. Um, But you can also email me at myradamacedo.nolan.com at gmail.com i think that you're going to probably put that in the in the notes um the show notes um i'm on instagram i'm on i'm on social media i'm not on the new stuff i don't know how y'all keep up with all these new things man uh,
1: yeah yeah i'm good people keep trying to get me on clubhouse i'm like yeah i'm good i'm good
3: <laughs> yeah i've got like 10 invitations yes I'm like, what do mean for me
1: <laughs> yes no i know <laughs> I'm right behind you in 50, so I, I feel you. I'm coming up literally right behind you, so I'm just like I barely understand Instagram, so I, I feel you on that. Um, well, yes, I plan to do put these in the show notes uh, unless you tell me otherwise. I would definitely do that in this day and age of uh, you know uh, right wingers listening in and trying to spam. But at any rate, uh, thank you so much, Meyer, for taking the time and just sharing your story, what you do, uh, the important work that you do, and uh, being connected. And you said you still chair uh, the CCDA board. Yep, yep, I'm still there. We,
3: you know, we hired a fantastic. Uh, new president and CEO Cecilia Williams. She's yeah. amazing. Yeah. I kind of feel like a do nothing. That's what um, Coach has said. Like a do nothing chair because it was a season, as you know, that was really intense. Yes. For us, and I felt like I was working full time uh, for CCDA, and I love and I love CCDA, um, um, but it's different. It's a different season for me, chairing at this time where we 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 have a new leader, um, and so I, I feel like I don't have to do as much, you know. But I'm still doing that um, until. Um, my term ends, um, which is, in, I think, in another year. Okay. And I committed to, to just staying around for stability um, for a while. And I wanted to give Cecilia the option also, you know, as she's leading, like to figure out what she needs. Um, and so, you know, really by her invitation and the boards, mm-hmm. um, I decided to remain chair until my board term ends in another year.
2: That's cool. So. That's yeah. great.
1: That is great. I love it. I love it. I'm, and again, I'm, just, I'm, you know, I'm glad you're there. Keep, you know, keep, keep, keep giving them hell on, on many different levels. That's great. <laughs> Thanks so much, Maya. I appreciate you.
3: Thank you, Dan. Thanks. The warning. Try not
0: to get in trouble. The snitches. The eyes. Probation. Parole. What? The new charge. The bail. The warrant. The hole. The cell. The bus. The ride. The uh-huh. The greens. The boots. The yard. You caught. The fighting. The stabbing. The pulling. The grabbing. The squad with the captain, nobody knows what happened The two years in a box, revenge, the plots The 23 hours that's locked, the one hour that's not.